Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians, if you uh, need a Bible, there should be one handy at the end of the pew. And uh, 1 Corinthians is found in the New Testament after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, Acts, and Romans. And before you get to uh, the book of Hebrews, you can find it in there. We are working through a a sermon series, and today's uh, message sort of dovetails with some of the themes we've already heard about of considering uh, stewardship, ministry support, um, church staff, even church ministries, those kind of things. And we're, if you're a keen observer, you'll notice we're uh, moving a little bit quickly past uh, chapter 8 and into chapter 9 to accommodate our speaker next week for the conference time and still try to... (laughs) Still try to wrap up this sermon series by uh, by Christmas time. So uh, that's that's where we are. It, it, however, does relate. Chapter eight is really about the idea of the freedoms versus the rights we have in Christ and about deferring to one another in certain situations with those freedoms. Chapter nine continues that theme. Uh, as Paul talks about freedoms and rights of him as a pastor, leader, ministry, staff person, we might call it, versus the freedoms, rights of the congregation. And uh, as we look at these verses, you'll see pretty quickly they're a, a little uncomfortable as a pastor or any ministry leader to talk about because they're sort of simultaneously could seem self-serving. And at the same time, really self-convicting also in contrast to the example of the Apostle Paul. So I'm sort of out there in front of you today with uh, all of that. And uh, and we will walk through it and journey through it uh, together. It is uh, convicting, though, as we recognize the Apostle Paul leaves no stone unturned in the matters he's willing to talk about in church life. So. It's a blessing to work through his word in this fashion. And certainly as we go into uh, stewardship uh, season, the next, uh, you know, next week, this budget meeting, we look at uh, submitting pledge cards as a congregation. That's a huge, uh, huge help to us as we go into early November. We'll be getting those out uh, soon where folks can actually make a planned commitment for giving. And we'll talk a little bit, too, about some of the online and app giving things that we put together. These uh, these matters are all related to what we call stewardship. And the Apostle Paul uh, certainly would resonate with other matters that are spoken about in Scripture uh, related to this. Uh, in fact, in, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about the, the fact that uh, Jesus was rich in the sense that he had all the heavenly glory, and yet he became poor so that we who were spiritually poor might become rich. But then he goes on to talk about how that spiritual generosity uh, might translate into generosity and material means. Uh, we're going to see the Apostle Paul literally refers to the passage in Scripture that talks about laying up our, for ourselves treasures in heaven. He's got a vision of a heavenly reality for himself, and he's committing his material uh, means presently with that in mind. Uh, certainly the Apostle Paul would encourage us to grow in that trust that develops when we do say, hey, that that tie, that baseline uh, training wheels for giving that 10 percent. I'm I'm not going to keep that. I'm going to trust that to the God, to, to the Lord, knowing that he'll provide for me. We've already seen the Apostle Paul talks about the idea of contentment. 
that those things actually giving is a liberator. It feels like an obligation, but it's actually a liberator. It frees us up from our slavery to the material things around us and that idolatry that that really captivates us in great detail. And then, of course, the Apostle Paul would advocate that we give from our plenty to the needy. So there's a lot of those concepts that we can sort of take for granted in behind the scenes. But what's interesting about the passage today here, as I've already alluded to, is that Paul talks about the specific dynamics in the church for church members surrendering, you might say, some of their rights to their material possessions And in contrast and complement to church leadership ministry staff and their sort of surrendering of their rights, all for the kingdom of God. How does that come together? Let's read in these verses today and we will read the uh, the whole chapter. So stay stay with me and then we'll um, we'll break it down and see what application the Lord has for us. I'll read it aloud as you read along silently. First Corinthians nine. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you're the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as the other apostles and brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense, who plants a vineyard without eating its fruit, or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope. The thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we've sown spiritually among you, is it too much to reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those that serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. But I'd rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground of boasting. If I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. Necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this on my own will, I have a reward. But if uh, of, not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. And then stay with me through, uh, through verse 23 here. For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all. That I might win more of them to the Jews. I became as a Jew in order to win Jews to those under the law. I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law to those outside the law. I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law to the weak. I became weak that I might win the weak and I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all 
for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, thank you for this, your word that uh, lays out for something that we're pretty familiar with in general. The idea of the church and the congregation and ministry staff and support and giving, but that we really don't hardly ever stop and and look at from a biblical framework. So we thank you for the challenge that's here, the information that's here, the vision that's here, and pray that you would teach us through it in our time together today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The story is told of two men who were stranded on a deserted island. And uh, the first fellow began to uh, panic right away. He, he was greatly concerned. He said to the other uh, fellow, we've got nothing to, to build a boat with. We've got no way to communicate with people off of this island. Uh, how are we going to get out of here? Second guy seemed rather calm with the whole situation and kind of relaxed and said, I make $10,000 a week. Don't worry. And the first guy said with a frustrated and sort of mystified look back to him, what good is $10,000 a week going to do us on this deserted island? And the first guy responded, well, I make $10,000 a week and I tithe my pastor. We'll find us. When we talk about ministries of the church and supporting them, we usually think about the onus on the congregation for what it needs to do. And I really like this passage today, as challenging as it is for me, and as much as it's made me think through my calling, for, for what it says also about the place of the pastor. And it's fascinating how Paul sets all of this in this context of what Jesus has done for us and how he frees us up and allows us to surrender our rights to one another. And, and here's how we might uh, phrase it. If you want to follow along in your worship notes section, your worship guide, your sermon notes section, it's just this. And the main idea, I think, is blank in there, so you'll have to fill this in. Since Jesus frees us from materialism, Jesus frees us from materialism, we can surrender our material rights for the sake of God's kingdom. Paul describes a scenario where he's opting, although he has describes having some sort of right to provision from the people of God that he's serving from. Now, he's a sort of traveling evangelist and he's he's single. So he's in a little bit different scenario and he identifies that in distinction from some other folks that have a believing family that they're taking along with them and have those responsibilities. But all of this, he's saying, you know, Jesus has done this wonderful thing for me. He's freed me up and liberated. And so I'm prepared to serve you. And, of course, in that context as well, he says the same is true for all of you. Instead of having to be a slave and a servant to the material things of this world, we've recognized that Jesus has come into our life, that he's our highest good. That, in fact, any direction we go, any idol we make of anything in life besides the Lord is uh, something that really empties us, that really kills our soul. And that Jesus says, I come and give you a free gift, the free gift of salvation. 
And that's actually going to allow you to hold things in life more loosely and have a, an eternal and kingdom perspective about it. And this is the idea of our message today. We know that the Apostle Paul, even you can see in the first couple of verses in chapter 9, that this is part of an overall issue that he's identified earlier. Remember in chapter 4, 1 Corinthians, if you've been around this fall, where uh, there's others that seem to be in the church community or speaking to them or preaching to them or whatever that uh, have a lot of flash, have a lot of fanfare have a particular gift of eloquence and are particularly convincing and maybe just are sort of more healthy, seem more strong people. We know the Apostle Paul described himself as having some kind of thorn in the flesh. He's got some kind of constant ailment that doesn't go away. And and he says there that he's really not trying to speak with these really profound words, but he speaks pretty simply. And he just wants to depend upon the Holy Spirit in that to speak into people's lives. But as a result, the people, you you can understand the mindset. They're saying... We don't feel like we get what we pay for with you, Paul. We feel like these other guys got a little bit more going for them. And apparently they're happy to support them, but not Paul, which is strange, of course, because he's the Apostle Paul. Right. And he also is invested in their early spiritual growth. We see this and we also see perhaps in general that they're struggling with the value of investing in what we would call a church budget. Right. And investing in uh, providing ministry staff, whether it's youth or music or certainly pastorally. When I was in my undergraduate years and I had come to faith in Christ late later in my high school years, uh, gone to a fairly rigorous uh, undergraduate environment to study uh, biomedical engineering was the direction I was headed. In fact, I have a biology degree somewhere in there. And, and, and so I was headed in that direction and I had a group of peers and folks I hung out with. And, and there was one guy in that mix who was not a, a believer. So that, you know, of course, colored his perspective. But uh, when he found out and long way, you know, midway through my college years that I felt God was calling me into pastoral ministry and was beginning to take steps that way and kind of move away from this other uh, calling of biomedical engineering. I heard through the grapevine what his words were when he heard about my decision that way. He said this, he said, what a waste. What a waste. Which was kind of a backhanded compliment, right? Because he was saying that he felt like, well, I might have something to offer the world in this other field, but that to to have my life invested in ministry was just sort of a waste. Right. And, and, and that concept is popular in our culture. I was I was with uh, it gets perhaps even worse. I was with a group of church uh, planters. I, I should have prayed for them. I meant to today uh, at this cohort that we do training church planters that come from around the, the country and our uh, sister church, Cahaba Park, hosts that. And I go over and teach a segment or two with those guys or at least dialogue with them. And, and another guy was teaching a, a segment when I when I showed up one day and it was on sort of marketing. And how churches, you got to get over the hump with some people that are thinking about connecting in with church and how people make that process. And the illustration that was given was of how people respond. No offense if this is your profession, but to use car salesmen. Right. We know we need a car. We have to kind of get over that hump, though, of going and talking with a used car salesman because we may have a bad sense in our mind related to that. And so this gentleman was talking about the used car sales. And he says, now, you as pastors got to realize that it's similar. And, and I raised my hand and I said, oh, man, Sean, don't drag those used car salesmen down by comparing them to us pastors. Don't do that to them. Don't be so harsh. So 
there's a perception out there. And the Apostle Paul is trying to give us a vision and a picture, not only of the calling of ministry staff and so forth, but of the mutual uh, bond and self-sacrifice and yielding of rights that flows out of who Jesus is in, in our life and in the life of the ministry staff and in the life of the congregation. Take a look with, the, with me at these verses. The first thing we see is the Apostle Paul talks about uh, some of the evidence that he gives for his particular uh, calling and support. And he just says this. He says, look, don't you see the workmanship of changed lives? Verse 2. If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, uh, for you are the seal of my apostleship. End of verse 1. Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? You can almost hear the echo of Ephesians chapter 2, where it talks about uh, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is a gift of God, not because of work. It talks about that reality of Jesus breaking into our lives, that, that he does that. And yet we are God's workmanship, it says in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. So God is working out his work, but also those in ministry are. We we could look at it this way as well. Later in Ephesians, uh, the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul talks about the fact that those in ministry are given to equip the people of God for the work of ministry. And so here's the picture we we ought to get. The Apostle Paul says there ought to. The, the, the support is justified by the fact of changed lives. And although the ministry staff are sort of pouring into that, we really all have a share in it. We all have a calling to uh, find our ministry and use our gifts to support uh, the church and the work in ministry, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. That's what we're all called to. So when there's someone that's new that comes into Cross Creek Church and they don't know Jesus, and they come to recognize who he is and have a changed life. Uh, Dax mentioned earlier how large our congregation is growing. You may not even, as the congregation grows, may not even know that person well. Hopefully maybe meet them and get to shake their hand. But you're part of that. that that's the workmanship that's taking place. When a, when a young one in our church has a struggle or a difficulty and they need someone to mentor them and talk about it, and maybe the children's director or volunteers that the children's director is organizing pour into their life and help them to understand God's perspective on those matters, we've all got to share in that together. As we yield our you know, rights to some of that material means and contribute it to the church, we're seeing God's workmanship. The Apostle Paul is saying they ought to see at least some of that in him, and they do. He's making his case. He goes on, and he gives several examples, starting in verse 3. He gives the example from uh, fellow church leaders. I won't go into all of it, but he, he talks about the brothers of the Lord. That's Jesus' you know, brothers and Cephas, Peter. And he says, well, it's, you know, it's working for these guys. They, they need some support, especially as they have families, to do their ministry calling. So we have that example of this idea. And then he gives one just from everyday life. Uh, who serves as a soldier at his own expense, right? Someone pays the soldier to go fight. And that's understood. We expect that. Who plants a vineyard without eating of his fruit? Probably not many of us are vineyard planters, but we get the idea. Uh, who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? And he's just saying that this is a, a principle that's common to us in, in all of life, that uh, providing for the one who is tending the flock, so to speak, is, uh, it, it, makes, it makes sense. It's actually sound. And then he goes to the Old Testament. And boy, you know, if used car salesman's kind of a, uh, a rough comparison for uh, us in ministry, uh, paid ministry callings, uh, Paul's isn't that much better. He says, uh, you shall not muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain. OK, 
Okay, he's going back to the Old Testament and saying there's not just examples from everyday life and from other people in ministry that you see around you. But there's a a model for this in the Old Testament. Uh, Don't muzzle the ox, you know, don't keep the ox from having some feed so it can tread out. Not again, not a real glamorous or pretty picture. Uh, Some, you know, sometimes it, it goes that way. But the product is crucial. Okay, the ox isn't real pretty. But what is he what is he treading? He's treading out the grain. To get that good seed, that good product, something that can be profitable from it is workmanship. So the challenge for us there, and again, as we go into stewardship season, and we're going to talk in just a minute. We've got a few more minutes here to look at the Apostle Paul and how he's called to surrender his rights or how he chooses to surrender his rights for the benefit of the kingdom. But but those first couple of verses up through verse 12 are really a, a challenge for all of us to consider and Praise God, we have a very generous church. We would not have been able to uh, make the progress we have on purchasing land or support ministries and so forth. So God God has uh, blessed you all with a vision and a heart, uh, many for uh, for giving. Maybe some that's a new concept. Maybe some it's something to engage with fuller or be challenged by. The Apostle Paul lays out that paradigm and says, this is kind of the way the Lord has brought for the church uh, to function. It, it does make sense to, to have some of these ministry staff, whether it be youth or music or children's or administrative staff and pastors, to tend the flock. And that's kind of the way God's designed it. But it's a calling for each one of us to recognize who Jesus is in our life and to yield some of those rights, we might say, that we have to the material provision in order to support uh, that kingdom work. Second thing we see, and we don't have a lot of time, so we'll just uh, touch on it, but we have read through it already, and I think you get the uh, picture. It's starting in verse uh, 13 and 14. The Apostle Paul says, um, uh, well, actually before that, at the end of verse 12, he says, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So here you have the other side of the story, you might say. The Apostle Paul saying um, he's giving up his rights for the kingdom purposes as well, that both parties are doing that. He goes on in verse 15 and he says he doesn't make use of these rights. Why? What's his motivation? He's got a kingdom mindset, just like you and I have the opportunity to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven by supporting the ministries of the church. The Apostle Paul is saying in the degree that he personally sacrifices to be the the church ministry staff to be the church leader, that he's laying up for himself treasures in heaven. He's looking for a reward. And he even puts it this way, which is, you know, challenging for us that do get do get paid for our ministry calling. He says, in this situation with you all, the Corinthian church, I chose not to take anything at all because I wanted to have more eternal rewards. That's even though the normal pattern would be for that provision, I chose not to pursue it because I I love the kingdom of God and I'm looking forward to that reward. Paul chooses to do this also, not just so he can have this reward, but what is his end goal? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. He recognized the used car salesman uh, stereotype. And he said, I didn't want that to be any kind of barrier 
So I chose to do this free of charge for the purpose of spreading the gospel. Verse 19 and going on, he talks about the fact that he wants to be all things to all people. He's trying to do everything he can to engage and he's sacrificing his own kind of focus and identity. I thought about it this way because he talks about uh, Jews and Greeks, these two diametrically opposed sort of groups of people in the culture of the time. It would be like this, maybe. Uh, Imagine the diehard Crimson Tide fan loves the Crimson Tide, has tickets to the game, uh, has their house decorated with pictures of Bear Bryant and flags on their vehicle for the Crimson Tide. But who voluntarily goes down to an Auburn game to spend time with a neighbor that he or she wants to reach for Jesus. Right. Or the flip side, will be fair, the diehard Auburn fan has uh, pictures of eagles around their house and Tumor's Corner is special, you know, hallowed ground and so forth. But follows carefully Crimson Tide recruiting, not to see what the opposition is up to, but to talk to a co-worker who he or she knows is really into the Crimson Tide because we want to make a connection The Apostle Paul is describing that kind of heartbeat, that kind of desire for ministry. And what he's saying is that whether it's material things or whether it's sort of elements of our identity, it's all up for grabs for the sake of the kingdom of God. Right. For the sake of seeing people reached and connected with the gospel. That's what we ought to be about here at Cross Creek Church. I'll close with this. We uh, we saw it this summer. When a number of us had a, a privilege, I guess about 28 of us went over to uh, Clarkston, Georgia, and got some time about a week with folks that were uh, refugees from all over the world. It's the, the highest concentration in one square mile of international diversity that you can find anywhere in our country. One of like five locations where refugees are located. And and so we went there and the folks that were running the program, there were a lot of college students that were interns and, and they were already familiar with the cultures and the settings of each of these homes and families. And so they wanted to help guide us through it. How do we learn to go into these folks homes and apartments basically that they live in and meet people from all different places? So they set up these little uh, role playing uh, scenarios with little groups and our group of 28 divided up. And we went around and they, they sort of acted like you were coming to the front door. And then you had to figure out the, the, the interns were dressed up like someone might be from Africa or someone might be from Burma or from wherever. And then you had to figure out, do I take my shoes off? Do I who do I speak to? Do I sit down? Where are they coming from spiritually? How do I talk with them? And there was this mindset that you had on the whole trip. OK, we've come here because we want to ha- you know, help refugees. But now we might have to we might have to sit down and eat some food that they offer us that we don't really want. We have to sacrifice something about who we are or that we hold dearly in order to see people reached. That's the vision that the Apostle Paul presents for the church in all things. That's the vision he presents as far as material things as well. And so, uh, you know, we'll touch on some of these things again in the coming weeks. But uh, let this serve as a sort of stewardship uh, message for us as we come into November and and be praying through prayerfully to consider what what God's provided for us and how we might partner with the ministries of of this church, uh, giving up rights. We're giving up something that belongs to us. There's no doubt about it. 
but doing that for the extending of God's kingdom uh, right here in our part of the world and, and really to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your word that teaches us even about things like uh, this that we saw today. Help us to walk faithfully as your church in the ways that you have called each one of us. And Lord, help us to be motivated, not only in these matters, but many others, by the work of Jesus in our life to yield up our rights mentality and instead to have the heart of a servant to want to um, surrender to you and to one another for uh, your kingdom purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.